0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to our weekly parsh uh, This week is Parsha's Chukas. It's wonderful to be back with you. We missed last week, but uh, we are studying together again. If you have a Chumash in front of you, uh, please open right to the beginning of the Parsha. Hashem <speaking in Hebrew> laymar. Hashem spoke to Moshe and Aaron. And he told them, this is the Chuk of the Torah. The statue of the Torah. This is, uh, many commentaries explain this to me. This is the most illogical mitzvah of the Torah. We'll talk about that with Hashem's help today. Hashem is commanded. What is that? What is this mitzvah? What is the most illogical mitzvah of the Torah? speak to the children of Israel. They shall take for themselves. They shall take to you. Excuse me. They shall take to you, Moshe Rabbeinu, a poro aduma, a red heifer, a red cow, tamima, uh, which means it is completely red, um, pure and wholesome in its redness. Asher'in mum that has no blemish. oil, that has never
1: carried a yoke on it. oiso they should bring this, uh, they should give this red heifer to a lozer, the son of Aaron Hakoyan. He would take it outside of the camp, and there he would slaughter it. And the Torah goes on to describe the process, the famous process of the paradubo where in short, uh, the cow was burnt, its ashes were mixed with water, and they were used to sprinkle upon anybody who had become tomei meis, who had become impure, defiled, spiritually defiled, and impure by coming in contact with a dead body. And this mixture, of the ashes of the pora aduma, together with the waters uh, through a seven-day process um, where the the individual who had become impure was sprinkled with this mixture twice once on the third day of the seven-day process once again on the seventh day of the seven-day process bottom line it would purify the person from their state of impurity which they incurred from coming in contact with a dead body this mitzvah is known as the mitzvah of pora aduma. The Torah introduces it as Zois Chukas Torah, which again means that this is an illogical mitzvah, um, the most illogical mitzvah of the Torah. In fact, that is probably the one quality that the mitzvah of paraduma is known most for, more than anything else. Um, it is the way the Torah insists that this mitzvah just doesn't make any sense at all. Rashi off the bat, posuk beiz. Rashi says the sotan and the nations of the world, they challenge the Jews and they tell them what kind of a mitzvah is it? What kind of a, what reason is there for it? What kind of an absurd mitzvah is this? Therefore says Rashi, the Torah refers to it as a chukka. Kezei says the Rabbani Sholeilam, don't even try to make sense out of this mitzvah. It's a decree that has been set forth before me. You have no permission to even attempt to figure this out, futile effort. Don't bother, leave this mitzvah alone. It never made sense, it never will make sense. Just don't touch it with logic. It's gonna be a disappointing experience. Uh, uh, It's just a choyk, all right? Okay, we, we can accept that. It's not the only choikim the Torah, there are other chokim too, but, but this one is zois chukas ha-toiroh. This is like the paradigm icon of an illogical mitzvah that doesn't make any sense at all. Okay. Um, all right. The obvious difficulty, the obvious challenge in understanding the the way that pasuk and rashi and and, and the Gomorrah and all the commentaries understand this idea that Pura aduma is the most illogical mitzvah i forgot to mention Shlomo hamelech comp- uh, almost complained or, or exclaimed that that this mitzvah is so illogical Shlomo melech said he was able to figure out the reason for all the other mitzvahs every other mitzvah all the other chukim, all the other illogical mitzvahs. Shlomo melech said i can figure them all out but this one it eluded me. A Marty said, I, I thought I was gonna be able to figure out figure the hero many, and yet it's 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 removed. It's too far away, it's too difficult for me to understand. Okay. And the obvious difficulty which I want to talk about a little bit today for a few minutes is that not only does the Torah itself provide a reason for the mitzvah, not only does the Torah itself provide a justification, an explanation. But actually, it's given to us by Rashi um, and and others, but I'm saying even Rashi himself, who who Rashi explains the psukim, you know, for a a five-year-old child who studies Chumash, the reasons are given. Rashi spells them out. I I don't know if I'm going to remember them all, but I made a quick list while I was preparing the shir. Rashi spells out about 16 elements of the mitzvah. um, and, and, And Rashi himself explains the reason for the mitzvah. Um, and, and, and it's actually very straightforward when you think about it. It's, it's straightforward and obvious and it makes perfect. And it makes perfect sense. And yet the Torah insists those Chukas and right in the same Rashi who gives the reason for the mitzvah and all of its details insists that the satan is making fun of the Jews and the, and the nations of the world are making fun of the Jews. What kind of a ridiculous mitzvah is this? right shotness they have no problem with uh tying your left shoe before your right shoe they have no problem with uh everything else is fine (laughs) you know i mean we got 630 minutes so some of them are very interesting all of that fine (laughs) makes no sense and we have no answer for them the only thing we could the Torah says don't enter into debate just tell them the Rabbeinu Shluelam says it's an illogical divine decree. End of discussion. And again, in the same breath, Rashi gives us, Rashi, and, and Rashi gives us from the commentaries, from the Medrash um, a perfectly legitimate, straightforward reason and explanation for the mitzvah and how this is manifest in every detail of the mitzvah. All right, so so again, let us let, go through it. So Rashi says that the purpose of the mitzvah of pora aduma was quite simply a kapora for the chet That you the Jewish people sinned with the egal azov. The kapora for this aveira of the egal azov was the concept of pora aduma. Just like I'm adding this, just like you have you have in general the concept that korbonis are a Kapora, right? If a Jew did an Aveira, we had this before in part of the Kapora, an integral part of the Kapora was the concept of bringing a korbon, right? Which the Jew would pay for, which the Jew would sacrifice, which the Jew was told to meditate. uh, Whatever is happening to the sacrifice should have happened to me, et cetera. So the the, the concept of the Egel Azov, uh, excuse me, the concept of the Porah Aduma was a Kapora for the Egel Azov. And Rashi says, he says, Moshe, Rashi gives, and, if, and as if this is not clear enough, Rashi says, he'll give you an analogy. Moshe What's the analogy? There was once uh, the daughter of a Shifcha, Shifcha is a, is a woman, a maidservant who works in the, in the palace of the king. And her child, her son or her daughter made a mess. What kind of a mess? Doesn't say, tinef means made it dirty, right? As if it's a little child, means maybe with one of the bodily functions. If it's an older child, maybe they spilled something, food, drink, whatever. What's the difference? They made a mess in the palace of the king. Her mother was a shivcha, a maidservant that worked in the palace of the king. Omra, they said, quote, tovo imoi, oh, here it is, sorry. Rashi says exactly what kind of a mess it was. Tova imoi, it's talking about that that the child, the little baby, soiled themselves in the palace of the king. So the, 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 the palace uh, administration, right? The the HR human resources says, Let the mother come and clean up the dirt, clean up the excrement that the child uh, the released in the palace. And as if that's not clear enough, Rashi concludes Ka Poro, So let this pora, the pora aduma come and gain forgiveness for the Avera of the Egel azov. A a Korban could be a kapora, yes? So the pora aduma is a kapora for the Egel. Not a surprising concept at all. And there it is. And then again, we'll we'll go through some of them. I I hope I remember them all, but Rashi gives a list of, I believe, close to 15 or 16 or even more, Details in the paraduma, in almost, I would say, in almost every aspect of the mitzvah of Rashi shows you that the mitzvah is a kapara for the ego. Let's go through some of them. Number one, on the words Rashi says, "Mishalohem," that the Jewish people had to actually pay for the paraduma; they had to contribute it from themselves. Other carbonists came from the base of mikdash, from the mishkan. This one had to come for the. This one had to come from the Jews. Why? Says Rashi, just like when it came to the Egel Azov, right? They didn't go to some community coffer. They didn't go to some gamach, to some fund, to collect the gold for the Egel Azov. No, everybody went home and they took nizme azov, Asher Bo's name. They took the golden earrings that were in their own ears. And they brought it for the eagle azov so here the pora Aduma, which is a Kapora for the eagle azov the pos says you paid for the sin you pay for the kapora very straightforward next says Rashi the torah says the heifer the cow had to be red why red says Rashi Shachet because a sin is referred to as red in the kim in the pasuk in in, in sins are referred to as red so the pora has to be red to forgive for the to forgive for the for the which they did next rashi says the pasuk says that it has to be completely red the, the expression of the pasuk is tmimah in this case tmimah doesn't mean that the animal cannot have a blemish because the torah goes on to say asher ein bamum the animal did was not allowed to have a blemish tmimah means it had to be perfect complete in redness but the Torah doesn't use the Torah to describe that the animal has to be completely red, uses the word "t'mimo," which again means complete. But mimus can also mean a sense of purity. Tumimus can also be referring to a sense of innocence. It says Rashi, you know why the Torah says that the animal has to be completely red? Pure in its redness. Because the Jewish people were tmimim. The Jewish people were pure. Before they did the Egel Azov, I'll show you tmimim. And they became blemished through the aver of the Egel Azov. Again, Rashi says, so let this, uh, this Por Adumma come. aleim and forgive them. The Yachzeru, so that they can return to the, sense, to the sense of innocence and purity. Next, the Torah says, this cow, the poraduma. Can never bear a yoke. In order to be a kosher or poraduma, it has to be a cow that never carried a yoke. If it carried a yoke, it's not kosher, says Rashi. Why? Right? There's an expression, "oil malchus shemaim." "Oil malchus shemaim" means the yoke, the yoke of heaven. We're told that accepting upon ourselves to fulfill the rotzen of Hashem is like carrying a yoke. A Jew who studies Torah, fulfills mitzvahs, and does what, doesn't what does sin, does what Hashem tells them to do, is called a yoke-bearing Jew. He's carrying upon himself oil malchus shemayim, oil mitzvahs, the, Torah say, the Gemara says. It's a yoke. When the Jewish people committed the sin of the Egel Azov, they were what's called poirek oil. You may, have, you may have heard this expression. To be poirok oil means to cast off the yoke. It's a very derogatory expression. About when you say a Jew is a poyrk oil, it's very derogatory, very offensive expression. It, it means the Jew doesn't care, has stopped caring about what it is the will of Hashem. They've cast it off, says Rashi. When the Jews worship the Egil Azov, they were poiruk oil They cast off the yoke of heaven. So the cow, the poraduma that comes to Gaina Kapora, is a cow that never bear that never bore a yoke, that, that never carried a yoke. Next, the Pesach says they had to bring the Poro aduma to Elozar Hakoyan. They had to bring it to Elozor, the son of Aaron Hakoyen. Why? Says Rashi, this one's really easy. This one literally shouts out of, out of the B'sukim. Because how did they make the Egel Azov? How did they make the Egel They brought the gold to Aaron and that's how it was made. Now it's time for the kapora for the Pora Duma. The Torah says you have to do the kapora in the same vein along the same lines he did the sin. So bring the pora to Elazar. But Rashi adds, not to Aaron himself. Not Aaron himself. Why? Because Aaron himself was the one who actually made the, the Egelazov. In Kategor the, the critic, the uh, the offender, cannot become the defender. So Aaron himself couldn't do it. If he could, if he could, the Jews would bring it to Aaron himself, who made the Egel Azov, and said, "Okay, you make the paradum you make the paradum but you can't do the rushes too much, too close." So they brought the next best, Elazar Hakohen, the son of Aaron. He made the Egel Azov. He made the uh, he, he made the Next, the Torah says you have to take the cow and you have to burn it. Why? Again, says Rashi. Just like, the, I mean, Rashi's on a, on a rampage here. Just like the Egel Azov was burned, so the Poladum has to be burned. Next, you take, the Torah says, you have to take three things. eight eras, a piece of cedar wood, the azive and the uh, Ezaev is a, from, a, from a plant, Ushni Toilas, and a red string. Says Rashi, why, and, and they, would, they would take these things, the branch, the, the bush and the string, they would, they would wrap, uh, tie them all together, and they would use it to sprinkle the, the mixture, the ashes and the water on the person who was Tommy. Says Rashi, why three things? Before we even get into what they were. Why three things? Because 3000 Jews died as a, as, a, as a result of the Egal Azov. Why the Eres, why the cedar tree? Rashi says, because it's the tallest, tr- the tallest of trees. And a person who sins, sins out of arrogance represented by the tall tree. Why this particular plant calls, called Azov? Ezov is the lowest plant, Ezov is the lowest bush to tell the person who has made themselves arrogant like a cedar tree that they should, lo- and sinned, that as a chuba, they should lower themselves and make themselves like this bush. And the dye that they got for this drink came from a tailas came i believe i believe it came from a particular bug again rashi says humble yourself like a low bush and like a tailas and you will be forgiven and so i don't know if i've if i've mentioned them all i, I tried so we have we have a very a very clear picture emerges here where the the poraduma in general and every element of the poraduma or so many of them are there to gain forgiveness for the, for, for, for the Egel Azov. And yet we still refer to it as the most illogical mitzvah. So what's illogical here? What's difficult to understand, Bechlal? And why is this the most difficult thing to understand in the Torah, right? Those of us who have studied at least a, 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 a slither, an iota of Torah, Those of us who have spent even a moment, at least attempting to study something from the Torah, we know that there are many things in Torah that are difficult to understand. But all of Chazal and and, and the Rabbanu Shlodev himself is unanimous, nothing as ridiculous as this, nothing. And yet in the same breath, Rashi gives us so many explanations for it, okay. I want to share with you today an insight from the Klayokur. Um, the Klayokar, in his in his sort of typical style, um, is very brief in his, in his explanation here. So I'm going to do my humble best um, to explain it a little bit. Um, but it's 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 he calls it the Klayokar himself, calls it an, an Indian omwick. He says, this is a very deep idea. And he finishes, he says, this is a beautiful explanation. So we'll do our humble best to study it. And, and, and to understand it. Okay, one introduction. We know, of course, that when the Rabbani Shlomo created the world, created Odom and Chaba, and put them in Gan Eden, the plan, the intention was that they should live forever. There should be no death in the world. Because of the Chetay Tzadah, because of the sin of, of eating from the tree of knowledge. So, the Ravonishalolim said, um, "Okay, that's it." Um, banished him from Gan Eden, and uh, death was 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 off or out of the Hashem says, "You were made from dust, and you're going to return from dust, and you, you're going to return to dust." This went on, Chazal tell us, until the giving of the Torah. At the giving of the Torah. The, 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 the possek says, <laughs> with regard to the luchas, <laughs> that the, the, the luchas were written by Hashem, quote, <laughs> engraved into the tablets. <coughs> <coughs> <Excuse me. coughs> On these words, <laughs> that the writing of Hashem was engraved into the tablets, the Medrash says in Shemois Rabbah, don't read it as engraved, but Cherus liberated. Quote: Cherus mi hamoves. The Jews were liberated from the angel of death. Now, the simple understanding of this is, excuse me, liberated from the angel of death until the Until the Jews worshipped the Azov. when they worshipped, when they worshipped Hazov, the the malach came back. Okay. The simple understanding of this is that at the time of Matun Torah, the Jews, the world, all of existence was elevated back to the state that it was when Hashem first created Odom and Chav. And had it remained there, if not for the sin of the Egel Azov, there would be no death in the world, just like it was when Hashem created Odom and Chav. The world was restored to its state of original purity as it, as it existed when Hashem first created. But this, is, this is articulated more clearly in the Zoyar, but, but, but I want to move to this quickly because the Kaleioka has a different understanding. So, so, so again, the, the, the idea in general, in general, based on this medrash, the way everybody understands the medrash, the medrash says, mim, that at the time of Matan Torah there was, there was liber- Liberty, freedom from the angel of death means that the world at the time of Matan Torah. Was restored to its prechet eitzadas state, right? No, no illness, no, no death, no suffering, uh, um, right? We 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 learned that there was that there was no that the Jews would never forget anything they learned in Torah. It was a state of let's call it a, a, a physical and spiritual perfection, right? Let's call it that. But just like with the with the eitzadas that Odom and Chava committed. They plunged the world into a state of pain, suffering and death. So with Egel Azov, same thing. Once the Jews worshipped Egel Azov, they, 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 they cast themselves, they destined upon themselves, they signed themselves up for an eternity of, uh, or not an eternity, chas ha'shal Mashiach uh, comes, you know, death and suffering in the world, etc. Again, the Zohar is even more clear with this. The Zohar uses the expression, poskazu ha at the time of Martin Torah, "poskas u'amosten" it's, it's a bit of a euphemism, because because um, the Medrash says that the snake was physically intimate with Chava. "Quote: Hitil He placed uh, zuhamo means dirt. He, he placed dirt or filth into Chava, meaning in, in a, not just that they had physical relations, but the Zohar understands this to mean that that the Nochash managed to infest. Chavo and and, and through Chava Odom and all of human beings with the spiritual with the spiritual force of darkness, of what we call Klipa, right? The forces of evil. Bringing upon them death and suffering, etc until the giving of the Torah. But by the giving of the Torah, the words of the Zoyar, poskazu amosan, they were redeemed, they were liberated, they were redeemed from this. And so everything was in a state of perfection. All right, in the case of Odom and Chava the spiritual, uh, the, the, the peace, and the bliss, right? The utopian state landed, lasted about an hour or two. In the case of, of Matan Torah, it lasted for 40 days, a little longer, but, but not much of a grace period. And so we're, we're stuck with this today. Okay. Says the Kleokar, I have another pshat. I have another pshat. Because the Medrish doesn't say, that after the giving of the Torah, the Jews were liberated from death. It doesn't say that. It says they were liberated from malacham from the malachamovas. Now, what's the difference, right? Malachamovas is the one who brings death. Listen to this. It says the klayokar is not true. There's two ways to die. One way is well, there's many ways to die, but 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 one way, as far as the klayokar is concerned, there's two. One way is through the malachamovas. One way is through the malachamovas. There's another way called Misas Neshikin. Misas Neshikin means you die, so to speak, you're kissed by God, if you will. In this case, by Misas Neshikin, says the Kalei there's no malachamovas. Malachamovas doesn't play a role. God, so to speak, kisses you, right? And you're gone. We find this, Rashi talks about this by the death of Aaron, by the death of Moshe, not for now. Right? We have it by the death of Aaron in this week's Parsha. But anyways, a there's this concept, says the Kaleiachar, where the death comes from the Rabboni Shalolem himself, and the Malachim of us is not needed. Incidentally, when I learned this, I thought of something. There's a story in the, the Gemara. I'm, I'm, now, I'm now opening a bracket, parenthetically. The Gemara relates that different sages uh, the Malach had a hard time with him, right? There's a very famous story about Dovodah Melech. The Malach had a hard time with him, etc. So one of the sages, the Gemara says, the Malach had a hard time with him was Rabbi Shuban Levi. Rabbi Shuban Levi, of all the sages, um, was very spiritual. Many of the stories, particularly around Matun Torah, different things that took place in the spiritual realms, we know from Rabbi Shuban Levi. So the Malach had a hard time with him. Rabbi Shuban Levi kind of played with him a bit. Um, the Gemara says Rabbi Shub ben Levi asked the Malach "Before you kill me, I want you to—I want to see my chaylik in Gan Eden." said, "Listen, I don't usually—I uh, don't usually negotiate with people. You know, this is, this is usually a one-way deal. When your time is up, your time is up." No, Rabbi Shub ben Levi had great spiritual powers. He said, ah, don't just take me. You know, I want to see my chaylik in Gan Eden." All right, so the son of the Malach said, "Okay, I'll take you." So. Now, the Malacham is an angel, right? Anybody who knows anything about angels knows, knows that angels can fly. So the, the Malacham Ovis grabs uh, Rabbi Shuban Levy, and they're about to take off. He's going to show him his Chalik and Ganadan. Rabbi Shuban Levy says, Wait, <coughs> I'm afraid you're going to kill me along the way. Right? The, 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 the Talmudic story obviously needs to be interpreted, but this is the story. Rabbi Shuban Levy says, I'm afraid you're going to kill me along the way. Give me your knife. Give me your knife. Rabbi Shuh Levi says, I want to hold your knife while we make the trip, so you don't kill me. All right, the certain, the gives him his knife. They take off, right? They bring him to the, the, the outside walls of Ganeiden. Apparently, Ganeiden is surrounded by walls. And uh, the Malacham sort of props, props up Rabbi Shuh ben Levi. And Rabbi Shuh ben Levi is looking over the wall, and he's looking into his own chilek in Ganeiden. Yeah? You remember the story? The Gomorrah says, as Rabbi Shubh and Levi is like being propped up, you know, he's being given a foot lift by the Malach and he's looking over the wall to see his chalik in Gan Eden, Rabbi Shubbun Levi jumps <laughs> over the wall and lands in Gan Eden, Ran away from the Malacham So the Gomorrah says, typical Gomorrah. So the Gomorrah says, the Malach who apparently wasn't invited into Gan Eden, shouts to Rabbi Shubh and Levi, wait! Give me back my knife! <laughs> I need my knife! Rabbi Shubbun Levi said, no. I'm not giving you back your knife. All right, if I remember correctly, the Gemara says that a baskel came out from heaven and told Rabbi and Levi to return the knife, which he did. Um, but one of the amazing things, one of the many amazing things you see in this particular story um, is that Rabbi Shubbun Levi goes into Gan Eden, without being killed by the Malachamovas. right? The Malachim Ovis propped him over the wall, but then he jumped in. So, the, I mean, the Kliyokar doesn't need my hascomah, but he's obviously correct that there is this concept where death can take place without the Malachim Ovis. Just, he calls it Misas Tashikin, a kiss by Hashem. So the Kliyokar says, when the Medrash says that at the time of Matan Torah, the Jewish people reached a state of mi of liberty from the angel of death. It doesn't mean they wouldn't die; they would. Hashem decreed in the days of Adam or that, that that the Elohim You return to dust <coughs> until Mashiach comes. That's the way it is. But it was chayrus The malachamoves couldn't touch them. Had the Jews, says the kleioker, not sinned with the Egel azov when it would come our time we would die like motion no suffering may Hashem protect us no pain when it comes the time it comes the time you would lie down you would be kissed by the (coughs) and it would be over the fact that the jewish people sinned with the Egel Azov, this brought the the this empowered the satan the malach to come back and do its job again and, and, and now we're back to where we were, so to speak, before Matantai. time. Says the Kleyokor, listen to this, my friends. Says the Mishak. what's the difference? What's the difference? If, if, if the death is through the Malachim or through the death is, is we kissed by Hashem. What's the difference? Right? Either way, your, your neshama goes up and your body remains below. What's the difference? He says the difference is that if you die by a kiss of Hashem, there's no tumor. If you die through a kiss of Hashem, there's no impurity. It's only the fact that the Malach that's a only the Malach involvement here in the death process causes that the body that remains behind should be impure. But if it was a misas nishikim, if it would be a kiss, if it would be a death by the kiss of Hashem, there would be no impurity. The fact that there is Tumasmes, the fact that there is, that, that, that a dead body causes impurity, that's because it took place through the malacham That's because of the Egel azov. Were it not through the malacham that caused the death, which was brought about because of the sin of the Egel, a person would die, a Jew would die by a kiss of Hashem, Would be no tumult, there would be no such thing as tumults, mess, impurity of a dead body. And he brings a source for this, which is simply mind boggling. In brief, it's a Gemara toward the end of Mesech the Ksubas. The Gemara here discusses at great length, tremendous. The Gemara dedicates a few pages to the happenings around the story, around the time of the passing of Rabbi Yehuda Hanus. Um, some of the pieces of Gomorrah are very famous, some of them less well known. Be it as it may, the Gomorrah dedicates a lot of time to it. So the Gomorrah says like this, quote, <inaudible> That day that Rabbi Yehuda Hanossi died, quote, kedusha. <inaudible> the simple meaning of this is, holiness was like, it was like the Gomorrah saying, Holiness died with him. In other words, he was the last of the, of the uh, spiritual divine Mohicans, if you will.
0: One second. Giving a sheer
1: about death. And my computer has just let me know that it is about to die. I'm only not sure if the computer is about to die through the mavas or through a misas not sure. Anyways, either way, I'm, I'm charging it. So now the computer will give me some more time. <laughs> Says the Gomorrah the day that Rebbe died, Rabbi, quote, Kedusha ceased to exist. On a simple level, what the Gemara is saying is that Rebbe was like the last Jew to live on the face of the earth. It was a real Kodosh. A real, a real Kodosh. A real kedusha de Kiyid. Rebbe Yudanossi was the last one. Once he died, kedusha ended. After that, all right, you had Talmudim, you had uh, but you know, as they say in Yiddish, it's not the same. It's not the same. But Yehuda HaNasi was the last real Kaddish. That's the expression of the Gemara. That's the simple meaning. Here there is a tesis. And tesis gives an interpretation that is wild. I'm going to quote Mammish three lines from the tesis. Tesis a wild commentary. Says One of the of Tos, one of the authors of the Tosfos, was a tzaddik, a, a sage. They lived uh, about eight hundred years ago. Uh, was a tzaddik by the name of Rab Chaim Hakoyen He would say, "Quote." Il said, "If I would have been there when Rabenu Tam passed, Hayisi Metamolei." I would allow myself to become defiled, to become Tomei, by touching or by handling his body. The high kedusha He says, "Rabbeinu said, if I would have been there when Rabbeinu Tam, Rabbeinu Tam is the first Bali toislus. Uh, uh, Rabbeinu Tam was Rashi's grandson, right?" He says, if I would have been there when Rabbeinu Tam passed away, even I as a kohen, would have allowed myself to, to handle, to give honor by physically uh, uh, respecting, burying, purifying his body. Because when the Gemara says that the day that Rebbe died, Botla Kedusha, Kedusha was butl, he says, these sages interpreted it differently. They interpreted it to mean <clears throat> not that Kedusha was over forever, no. But that just that day, quote, Kedushas the Kedusha of Kahuna that doesn't allow a person, a Koyan is not allowed to come in contact with a dead body. A Koyen is not allowed to become Tomei Mace. Even nowadays, one of the very few remaining halachas of Tum is the vast majority of the laws of Tumatara don't apply anymore today. But one of the very few remaining alochas applies to a kohen that a koyan is not allowed to become tomayme. not allowed to come in contact with a dead body. Not allowed to come in contact with a with a with a caver with a grave. Not allowed to come within six feet. So when the Gemara says that that day but it means that the Gemara was saying koyanim were allowed to handle and to participate physically in the Lavaya, the burial, and the kvura of Rabbi Yudha HaNasi. And then he quotes from a Yerushalmi Mesech de Brochus, the Kshemes Rebbe Omru, When Rebbe dies, the Yerushalmi said an announcement was made, quote, There's no kahuna today. What does that mean? It means Kohanim were allowed to, in, to, in, to, 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 to deal with the body of Rabbi Judah HaNasi. Okay, Tosfus concludes that there are others who argue with this, okay. But, but, but this is what's written. Explains the or what does this mean? Because Rabbi Judah HaNasi was a tzaddik, because he was such a great tzaddik, therefore what? Therefore Koyanim are allowed to uh, violate a mitzvah in the Torah that says a Koyan is not allowed to become Tomei for a dead body? What is this, uh, some kind of shtick? Because he's a big tzaddik, therefore he's above the law? What's it supposed to mean? How, and, and, and Rabbi Chaim Akoyan quotes Rabbi Chaim HaKoyin applied it to his own Rebbe, to his own teacher, to Rabbi Tam. He says, If I would be there, I would bury myself with my own two hands, even though he's a Koyen. Shesek like, "Well, what's going on here? You're not allowed to do that. Simple says the Klayoka, because of what I just said. A person who not everybody who passes becomes tome. The vast, vast, vast majority who you do. You're only Tomei if you become if you die through the malacham If the malacham takes you, then you're Tomei. But if you die through Misa's nashiken if you die in the hands of the Rubana Shalom himself, there's no Tomei. Therefore, the Gemara saying Rabbi Yehuda Hanassi was such a Kaddish, was such a Tzadik. It wasn't the Malach HaMavis who took him, which is an incredible thing for the Gemara to say, right? Tovod Melech was taken by the Malach HaMavis. The Gemara says Rabbi Yehuda Hanassi wasn't. Rabbi Chaim Akonin says Rabbi Nuttam wasn't. If I would be there, I would have insisted that there is no tumah, And therefore I would have buried him myself. Okay, let's just finish the, the, the interpretation of the Kleyakar. The Kleoker says, this is the reason why the Poro Adumo, which is a korban which is brought as a Kapora for the Heto egel, why the Poro Adumo is the only way a person can become purified if they become Tomei, if they become impure through contact with a dead body. Because the Poro Adumo is the Kapora for the egel. Let's go through this one more time. Had there not been an Egil as Azov, any death that would have taken place would have been through the, through a, by a kiss from the Rabbi Shalom. Okay. Malacham would have no power at all. And there would be no such thing as Tuma Smith. There would be no such concept as Tuma, as, 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 as impurity from a dead body, because the Malacham would be out of a job. Any death that would happen would take place by Hashem. The Egel Azov empowered the Malacham to have its, it's to sink its teeth into the Jewish people. Now a person could die through the malachamovas, create and in vast majority of cases, except for the greatest of tzaddikim, does creating a scenario where a dead person creates, generates tumor. Ah. Along comes the pora dumo, and the Torah says, This is a kapora for the chato ego. If it's a kapora for the chato ego, we now understand why through it one can become pure through any tumor that has been generated by coming in contact with a dead body, which has been taken by the Malach which has been empowered through the ego. Asimov. This is the interpretation of the kleok Okay, very nice. He calls it a Pirush Yoker. He says, this explanation is, is it's a gem. Um, and of course it, it, it really is. Okay, let's finish the thought. Let's go back to the question. The question is, okay, why is the Torah referring to the Egel Azov as such an illogical mitzvah? What's illogical about it, right? <laughs> we na- not only that, we now understand the Kalei has explained to us one more part of the Poraduma. We now also understand why the Porah Duma it g- it gives us Tara for, for even that makes, Even that makes sense. So why is this referred to as such an illogical mitzvah? All right. So the classic explanation, which is given, is, the, is that the Poraduma had one more feature. Poraduma had had uh, one more part to it, which this really was, was the part that nobody could get. There was all, in other words, everything that we spoke until now, at least on the surface, makes sense. But there was one. There was a zinger. The Poraduma had one, you know, one element to it that when you when Shlomo heard this, he gave up. He was like. I, I, I just can't do this. What is that? This is referred to very famously by, by Chazal. Quote, Which means that in addition to the ashes of the Porah Duma, making those who became impure purified, as we just learned. right? Even somebody who became Tome by coming in contact with a dead body. Would become purified through the ashes and the water of the pora aduma, but the Koihanim who handled the pora aduma, many of them anyhow, they would become tamei. So this, this, the commentaries say, is is uh, is the checkmate. Now, at this point, everybody folds their arms and says, "I can't. We can explain everything, everything until here. Vasa how could the same thing make people who are pure impure and people who are impure, pure? It doesn't make any sense, manavshah. Is it a purifying force? Is it an impurifying force? Nobody can understand it. And therefore, because of this, the Poraduma is Zois Chukas Hatoira. Okay. I got a few minutes left. Let's delve a little deeper here. Again, based. Based on this clayok. Because again, the question remains: all right, it's it's taka interesting, it's taka a phenomenon, that the same thing is Metameya Satohiri and Matara main granted. But why is this like the most just baffling beyond logic concept?
0: I mean, what why?
1: Okay, so so, so again I want I want to dig deeper into, in, in, into this idea. The, the, the Porah Dumo is a Kaporah for the Egel Azov. The Egel Azov is a sin that the Jews made at a time where in their, they were in a state of tremendous spiritual perfection, right? Compared to Odom and Chava before the Chet. Okay, this is what the this is, what the is, is, is basing his interpretation on. So let me ask you a quick question. Again, I only got a couple of minutes left, but, but I, I think there's, there's, there's a point I want to get to. Let me ask you a quick question. Odom and Chava are in a state of such spiritual, I mean, Yitzir Baruch. The Jewish people have just stood at Har Sinai. They've heard Hashem say Hashem They're pure. They're pure. How do people like that sin? I don't just mean what motivated them to sin. I don't just mean Why did they make what seems like such a stupid decision for such a small moment of of gratification? Why did they make a decision that has such long lasting repercussions? I don't just mean that. I actually mean literally. How could they actually literally sin? What I mean by that is a tzaddik, a person, not just a tzaddik, these are people, you know, the Kalei is comparing the Jewish people after Matan Torah to the level of Moshe and Aaron how is it even possible how could they again I, we, we use the expression how could they to mean like chutzpah how dare you I don't mean how dare you I mean actually if a person doesn't have hands Rahman right? how is he able to do things he uses his feet what if Rahman Lutzlan doesn't have feet what if he doesn't have if you don't have a yetzahore, if you don't have a desire to sin, if you're standing at that level of such incredibly, in such incredible spiritual perfection, then, then, then how at that level is it even possible for a person to sin? If Hashem didn't want and they were handmade by God, literally, the crown of creation, perfection itself, the Jewish people just, stood at Martin Torah, Paschal a Moslem Desire says, there's no evil in them. The Gomorrah says, the Gomorrah says that Sadiq, the Gomorrah says that Sadik cannot even sin by accident. <inaudible> it's actually a Paschal. It means that Sadik doesn't even sin by mistake. Even by mistake, Sadik doesn't sin. What, what, what do you mean? Sadik doesn't sin by... What's it got to do? Why would Tzadik not sin by... A mistake is a mistake. No, a mistake is not a mistake. It's an Avera. And I've, in, in order to... Do an Avera, you need to have some kind of connection to evil. You need to have some kind of connection to to a realm, a world, which is the opposite of the will of Hashem. If you don't have it, then how could you possibly sin? And yet they did. And yet they did. They made the azov. They brought the Malachimovus back upon themselves. And until the Poro Aduma, there was no Kapora. Now listen to this. Along comes the Poro Aduma and says, I'm gonna give you forgiveness. Now you'll be forgiven, okay? So if the Jewish people are forgiven, if they're forgiven, then they're forgiven, yes? A Kapora means you're forgiven but it's not a complete forgiveness. It's not a complete forgiveness. Because even though they're forgiven for the sin of the Egel Azov, even though they're forgiven for the sin of, of, of the calf, we have not liberated ourselves from the malacham We're still vulnerable to it. So look what, ha- look, look what kind of a picture emerges here in the end. On the one hand, even in the highest of spiritual perfection, even in the, even Odom and Chava, as they exist in Gan even the Jewish people within 40 days after Matem Torah can still commit the most heinous of sins. They can still lower and defile themselves to do the Eitz Adas and the, and, the, and, the, and the Egel Azov, which brings the Malach and death and suffering into the world until Mashiach comes. On the other hand, even the kapora of the pora aduma doesn't give them complete kapora. It doesn't say, you'll bring the pora aduma, you'll be forgiven, so now you're forgiven. So if we're forgiven, we should go back to the way we were before. No. You'll be forgiven, and yet even in the process of forgiveness, still, by the time we're done with the pora aduma, we have this reality. Where no matter how high the Jews go, they're vulnerable to sin, and no matter how low they go, they can be forgiven. Metaheresatmeim <speaking> forgives uh, purifies the impure, <speaking> and purifies the pure. So what do you have in the end? In the end, you have a Jew's journey. A picture emerges here where a Jew's journey in serving Hashem, as high as it goes, they can always fall. And as low as they go, they can always pick themselves up. There's no, you can't. You cannot go high enough where you're liberated from sin and you cannot go low enough where you're defiled completely and where you're lost altogether. No. No matter how low you go, the poor will pick you up and no matter how high you go, you're vulnerable to, to, to the Chetay Tzadas and to the poor aduma. I think that this is the hardest part. In Hashem, in our service of Hashem, this is the most difficult part to deal with. And not just ide- ideologically, by the way, emotionally too. It's, it's the part we, we, we wrestle with the most. There's nothing a Jew can do that will make them so high, that will make them so great, that will make them, besides for Rabbi Yehuda Hanossi, and and, and, uh, and, you know, and, 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 Tam, and, and, and even they had their own challenges, right? They had their own challenges. There's nothing a person can do that will connect them with Hashem so high where they're free of sin, where they don't have to worry about it, where they cannot sin. No matter how high you go, you're always, you're always vulnerable. And there's no place that's low enough that a person is lost. Says, I don't understand this. I don't understand this. Why? Why can't a Jew become so connected with Hashem that for once and for all, the Sahara will leave him alone? Don't bother me. Don't have to worry about succumbing and falling into Averis. Or the opposite. Why can't the Jew fall so low to a point where they, where they, so to speak, touch death itself, where the Malachim takes you and, 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 and and the person is gone. Why? And and yet, even there we say no, no matter how low the Jew goes. There's always another chance. There's always a poraduma that they can come and clean it. There's always a kapora. The kapora is never complete. And the sin is never complete, so we're like we're like stuck here. We're like bouncing around in this world, where where it's like we can't go too far this way, we can't go too far that way. Rashi says, "Uma <inaudible> and the satan, the and, and the satan, they're sort of challenging the Jews on this. They're like, you're busy, you're, you're spending your whole life serving Hashem, working on yourself, perfecting yourself." You know, it's like, <laughs> here. Imagine a game, right? Imagine you're playing a game. And I tell you, in this particular game, nobody wins and nobody loses. Finished. Not just no. There's no such thing as winning and there's no such thing as losing. So, well, what, what in heaven's name kind of a game is that? Right? 2022. No winners, no losers. We don't want to offend anybody. Everybody's winners. Everybody's losers. No. So what's the point? So what's the point? Says the Rabbanu Shlolem. I'll tell you what the point is. The Rabbanu Shlolem says this is the way I want. This is this is this is this is where the greatest infinity of the Rabbanu Shlolem, the infinity of the divine, expresses itself right here in this point, and it never ends. And it's higher and it's, and, and, and for every Aliyah, for every elevation, there's a Yurida and for every Yurida, there's an Aliyah. For every Egil there's a para Aduma. And for every pora Aduma, there's, there's, there's another Tumas Mestik. For every Poraduma, there's another person who's pure that becomes impure in the process. And the cycle goes on till Mashiach comes. Certain things in life have no graduating point. At which point do you stop being a parent? At which point do you stop being a child? At which point do you stop being a spouse? At which point do you graduate, right? At which point have you, have you been en- good enough of a spouse, good enough of a parent that now you graduate? Now, you, now, now I'm done. <laughs> the answer is there's no such thing. At which point do I graduate being a good person? I'm, I, I'm good enough. Which point have I studied enough Torah? Have I fulfilled enough mitzvahs? There's no such thing in the words of the Gemara. Talmidei chachomim ain Scholars have no rest, not in this world and not in the next world. So, so, where does this end? Where does this end? It doesn't human being is incapable of wrapping their heads around us. And the Rabbeinu Shlulam says, right. And that right there, that right there is where the divinity is where the Rabbeinu Shlulam himself is to be found. Just like the Rabbeinu Shlulam is infinite, so is Torah's infinite. I conclude with a Hasidic story. They said, Menachem Mendel of Horodok called the was once sitting in his room. It was Simchas Torah night. He had Hasidim downstairs and uh, they were waiting for him to come down and say, and And he was sitting in his room taking his time. Hasidim got impatient. They sent one of the students up to knock on his door and say, Rebbe, it's time. They sent uh, what, what we refer to in Chabad as, as the, who would later become the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, so the Balatanya, the Alter Rebbe went upstairs and he knocked on the Rebbe, 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 Rebbe Nachamendal of Haradokar's door and there's Rebbe, let him in. And he said, Rebbe, everybody's waiting for you downstairs. You know, Hasidim are late, but not so late. You know, Ganuksha, and it's time to start the celebration. His Rebbe says to him, I can't go down. Why not? He says, I opened the Siddur to prepare myself for the evening's uh, minhogim. And I saw it starts with the words, You, Hashem, have shown us to know. Nothing else exists besides for Hashem. And I looked at it, and as I looked into these words, I saw in a spiritual sense, 400 levels that are beyond me. How can I go downstairs and patch on the table and scream, when, it's, when I see 400 levels that are beyond me, how can I do it? The Alter told him, this is the way I heard the story. The Alter told him, listen to me, my dear. He said, with time, you will reach every one of these 400 levels. Work on yourself. Grow, daven, learn, serve Hashem. You'll reach every one of these 400 levels. And then when you get to the 400th level, you will see another 400 levels. And you'll start working on those. As long as we're here as long as we're connected to the Rabban Shlomo. It never ends. Every growth has its own pain. Every growth has its own growing process. And every, every time we grow, we have to shed the, the, the previous levels and grow into a higher world. Every time we're to higher, whenever we're pure, we have to become impure, not in a negative sense, but impure in the sense where we, where we grow out of where we were yesterday. And every time we're impure, through the pora Duma we become pure again. In the end, the Egil Hazov and the pora Duma are seen as this sort of link, linked powers that, that, that work together. The Egil Hazov lasts forever, right? And the pora Duma lasts forever. I forgot to mention, that it's one of the things, one of the ways Rashi connects them, right? Why the pora Duma forever? Because the Egil Hazov is forever. That means that every step of the way, there is, there is the challenge and the solution, the question, and the answer. There is the stumbling block, and there is the graduation. There is the pain and the growth. The simon that a Jew is connected to Hashem, the simon that a Jew is alive, is that every at every moment in their life, they're able to grow out of where they were yesterday, and grow into a new level today. Wishing you all a wonderful Shabbos.